the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. So listen, if no one has ever explained to you the meaning, the significance of the death of Jesus Christ, then here it is. I'm going to explain it to you from this one brief verse of Scripture. If you already know why Jesus died and you understand the significance of the cross, this is a good reminder of how precious Christ's death really is and how it continues to impact us today and ought to be something that we remind ourselves of every day as we preach the gospel to ourselves. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible study with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are so glad to have you along today. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this lesson to listen to it again or share it with a friend. We're in a series of lessons in the Epistle to the Galatians, which Paul wrote to combat the insistence of some teachers that it was necessary for new Christians to keep the Mosaic Law in order to be saved. These teachers had attacked Paul's status as an apostle in order to discredit the message of salvation by faith alone that Paul had preached. Today's lesson begins with examining the key truths that Paul raised in defense of his apostleship. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right down to business. Here's Pastor Steve with today's verse-by-verse lesson. Now, last week, we only had time to look at the first of these three key truths as we saw Paul defending his ministry as an apostle. Let me very quickly remind you of what these verses are about. Notice verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, in, in these two verses, Paul very clearly states that his apostleship had absolutely nothing to do with any human source. No church committee made him an apostle. No group of men laid hands on him and said, now you're an apostle. That's what he meant when he said, not sent for men. Had nothing to do with any man. Secondly, he says, no individual had informed him that God had made him an apostle. That's what he means. He was not through the agency of man. Nobody came and told him, by the way, Paul, God told me you're an apostle. He said, it wasn't the way it happened. He wants the Galatians to understand that his call to being an apostle came directly from God the Father through Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about is this. Had no human involvement at all. Took place while he was on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus revealed himself to Paul at the same time that he revealed himself to Paul and Paul was converted. He also revealed that he is a choice servant, an apostle, who will be sent to the Gentiles. He was commissioned by the Lord himself 
Acts 26, to be an apostle. And as Paul will later develop in chapter 2, because of this divine calling, he was just as much an apostle as any of the other 12. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, starting in verse 7, we read this. This is important to understand. Now, we're jumping ahead, but only to give some weight to Paul's argument. Chapter 2, verse 7, he speaks about going up to Jerusalem, meeting and speaking to the other apostles. He said, but on the contrary... Seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. He simply means Peter was called to give the gospel to Jewish people. I was called to give the gospel to Gentile people. Notice this, verse 9. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, and John, who reported to be pillars, meaning pillars, leaders in the church, gave to me and Barnabas, note this, the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What what he's saying is this, the other apostles recognized that I was one of them, that I'm a legitimate apostle. And so they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship just recognizing we had different ministries, but the same message. See, as we said earlier, Paul was forced into defending his apostleship because these false Judaizers had attacked it, said he had no apostolic authority. And Paul understands that if they can persuade the Galatians that he has no apostolic authority, then his message of salvation by grace has no authority either, no credibility. And so that's why in this opening Two verses, Paul hammers home and defends his ministry as an apostle. He affirmed that what he was preaching to the Gentiles was the same thing that Peter and the other apostles were preaching to the Jews. So what was the message? What was he preaching? What did Paul receive from Jesus Christ by a revelation that he was proclaiming to others as the Lord's inspired ambassador? Well, that's the second key truth that Paul brings up. In his introduction, as he moves from defending his ministry as an apostle, now, this is new grounds for us, to finding his message of salvation by faith alone. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, although it's true that in this letter, Paul doesn't offer any praise to them, no commendation, no thanksgiving. These words, though, are positive in the sense that they they are Paul's wish for these folks. When he wishes them grace and peace, he's indicating here in verse 3 that he hadn't given up on them. He still apparently thinks the best of them, considers them true believers who've just temporarily taken a, a detour. Otherwise, he would never have given them this greeting, which is reserved for believers in Christ. The only ones who have ever experienced and will ever experience God's grace and peace. See, to pronounce grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is tantamount to telling them that they have already received salvation because grace and peace are two words that are related to the gospel, strictly to the gospel. What does grace mean? Grace speaks of God's kindness in freely bestowing forgiveness of sins upon sinners who turn to him for deliverance. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say this, for by grace are you saved through faith. Paul means faith alone, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith 
alone. In Christ alone. And peace. What is peace? Peace is the result of receiving salvation. Paul said in Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The war is over. Also indicates that there's peace in our hearts because our souls are secure in Christ. Peace here is the Jewish equivalent of the word shalom. Peace, well-being to you. Now, this greeting of grace and peace is not unique to Galatians. Paul, frankly, if you look at all of his letters that he wrote to various churches, he says the same thing. Grace to you and, and peace. But here in Galatians, the words grace and peace stand out. You know why? They're quite striking. Because grace and peace in Christ were precisely what these people were turning away from. Turning to another gospel. So it may very well be that Paul speaks here of grace and and peace as a way of immediately attacking the law-keeping system of these Judaizers and warning the Galatians right off the bat of the dangers of following this false system. See, to accept a system of salvation by law-keeping or personal performance is to reject God's grace in Christ completely. There's no neutral ground. You cannot have salvation by grace and law together at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. You either have one or the other. Paul said in Romans 11:6, speaking of salvation, but if it is of or by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You can't add performance to grace or you no longer have grace. And those who try to gain a right standing before God by law keeping, by human effort, have absolutely no peace. They have certainly not at peace with God, but they have no peace in their souls either because they can never know if they've done enough good works to be right with God. How would you ever know? How could you possibly know? So you never have peace. However, grace and peace are what every true believer in Christ possesses. And the reason for this is because of Christ's work on the cross. And that is precisely why Paul proceeds in verse 4 to explain for us the significance of Christ's death. Who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In this one verse... We have one of the most meaningful statements in all the Bible, because in just a few words, Paul explains the the importance of the death of Christ. And the reason that Paul mentions Christ's death here is because he's spelling out to the Galatians the heart of the gospel that he had previously preached to them and what they were in danger now of rejecting for a false gospel of salvation by law. So listen, if if no one has ever explained to you the meaning the significance of the death of Jesus Christ, then here it is. I'm going to explain it to you from this one brief verse of Scripture. If you already know why Jesus died and you understand the significance of the cross, this is a good reminder of how precious Christ's death really is and how it continues to impact us today and ought to be something that we remind ourselves of every day as we preach the gospel to ourselves. Now, in one verse, Paul tells us four important truths about the death of Christ. I'd encourage you to take notes. Four important truths. First of all, he tells us that Jesus willingly went to the cross. Notice how he begins verse 4. Speaking of Christ, he says, who gave himself. The death of Jesus Christ wasn't an act of reluctant heroism. Rather, it was an act of 
voluntarily self-sacrifice. He volunteered. He, he gave himself over and over in Scripture. We read of Christ's willingness to go to the cross. Ephesians 5, verse 24. Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. Titus 2.14, who gave himself up for us. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, No one takes my life. I give it up. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. And when Jesus died, we read in Matthew 27, verse 50, that unlike others who succumb as victims to death, Jesus didn't do that. He yielded up his spirit. Listen, when death comes to each of us, we have no choice in the matter. It will take us as a victim. We have no, no choice in the matter. But that wasn't true when Jesus died. He chose to yield his spirit. When death comes to us, we don't make a choice. You succumb to it. You don't say, I think I'll die right now. You don't do that. But Jesus did. Jesus yielded up his spirit. In other words, his life wasn't taken from him. He chose to die at that very moment by giving up his last breath. And so Christ's death was no accident, it was no mistake. He willingly laid down his life. The question is, why? Why? Paul proceeds to tell us as he unfolds the second truth in this verse about Christ's death. He tells us that the reason Jesus laid down his life was because he gave himself for our sins. For our sins. Oh, what does Paul mean by this? Listen closely. He means that Christ's death was a sin offering. And that he took our place on the cross and died in payment, full payment. For our sin. See, sin is a serious thing. It's the most serious thing in, in the universe because it, we sin against an infinitely holy God who demands perfect justice. And that means that we deserve to be punished by God. Not temporarily. We have sinned against an infinitely holy God. We deserve an infinitely punishable way of, of Dealing with our sin. We deserve to be punished in an infinite way for an infinite amount of time. But when Christ willingly died on the cross, he became our substitute sin bearer. That is to say that although he was perfectly righteous and innocent of any sin, all of our sins were placed upon him as he became a sin offering to God on our behalf. And in doing so, folks, he perfectly satisfied the pure justice of God. Galatians 3.13, Paul went on to explain, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed, cursed by the Father. You're not talking about saying bad words to him. He was abandoned, he means. He was damned to hell by being judged in our place, the full fury of God's wrath was poured out on his son. In other words, Christ experienced hell itself, total abandonment by the father and dying for sinners like us. And he did it willingly. And that's what makes his death so amazing. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained the nature of Christ's death. He wrote, he gathered up all of our sins, put them on his own shoulders and paid for them with his death. Thus, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not merely an example of supreme sacrifice, but an actual atonement for sin. It enabled God to forgive us by satisfying his pure justice. That's why I read before Isaiah 53. The Lord has laid on him judgment. 
He died for our iniquities. He was punished in our place. So far, we've seen two truths, amazing truths about Christ's death. Number one, he died willingly. Number two, his death was an eternal payment for our sins. But what exactly did Christ's death accomplish? Well, since his death was an atoning sacrifice for our sins, then we know that his death provided what we need most, and that is the forgiveness. Forgiveness from God for all of our sins. And that's exactly what happens when you come to Christ. Therefore, we have the assurance that we will not suffer the punishment for our sin in the future in hell. But when we die, if you're a believer in Christ, you will immediately go into the Lord's presence because your sin was paid for. That's salvation. But interestingly, when Paul speaks of the purpose of Christ's death, he doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention it here. He doesn't mention anything here that pertains to the future. Instead, he speaks of something that Christ's death accomplished right now. Something that is a present reality that every one of us needs to be aware of. Verse 4 says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this, note this, present evil age. Paul tells us that Christ's death affects us today, right now, right where you are, in that he died in order to rescue, which means deliver us from this present evil age. Now, what does he mean by this? He means that those who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, believing that he died for them on the cross and that he's their only hope for eternal life, They are emancipated, liberated from the bondage of sin that still dominates every unbeliever and is characteristic of the ungodly world that we live in. To be rescued from this present evil age, it's not a reference to a future deliverance out of this wicked world. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you leave them in the world. We're left in the world. There will be a future deliverance out of this wicked world, but that will take place eventually when we die or if we're the rapture generation. But that's not what he's talking about here. To be rescued from this present evil age is to continue living here on earth in a satanically controlled world system, but to live in such a way that we demonstrate a new life in Christ. We demonstrate that we've been born again. We demonstrate kingdom living In a fallen world. In other words, we who have been saved by grace have been freed from the bondage of our sin so that we no longer live like we used to live. And the way that all unsaved people still live, enslaved to their own lusts and passions. We've been set free. See, folks, what the gospel does for us is that it liberates us from sin controlling us. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, You were rescued. You were set free from being controlled by your sin. Now, we still struggle with sin. We struggle a lot with sin. And we'll continue to struggle with sin until we're brought safely home to glory by Jesus himself. But here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You struggle with sin as a believer, but you don't have to sin. We don't have to sin at all. We've been set free. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free... You're free, amen, from their sin. We have received a new divine nature at our new birth. Peter says that. You received a new, Second Peter 1, 3, you received 
a divine nature. That's regeneration. That's what the new birth is. God has given you his very life. You have a new nature. And that new nature gives you the power to say no to sin. We don't say it as often as we should. But you have the power to say no to sin. You've been set free. An unbeliever does not have that power. All they can do is sin. They make choices within the realm of sin. But they can't go out of that realm of sin. They're in bondage to a sinful nature. Let me show you what Paul taught about this. One book over, Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And keep your place here because we're going to look at two places in Ephesians. Starting at chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he's writing to the church now, probably a group of churches. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the way all of us were. Born into this world, dead. That doesn't even sound right. How could you be born but be dead? You were, you were alive physically, but not spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that it's now working in the sons of disobedience. This is the way all of us were. We did whatever our sinful flesh dictated. Verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Listen, that's the way we used to live. We did whatever we wanted to do that was dictated by our sinful flesh. But we've been set free, Paul said. And so we turn to Ephesians 4. Starting at verse 17. What a marvelous passage. So this I say and affirm with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, he means the pagans, also walk in the futility of your mind. He said, you don't have to walk like that now. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Paul said, but you don't have to do that anymore. That's the way you once were. Not anymore. Verse 20. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, he said, you lay aside the old self. Paul said this because that's the power we have to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul said, you can live differently. You don't have to be the same old sinner that you were before you were saved. Really, what Paul is referring to here when he speaks of being rescued from this present evil age, it's a new kind of life. It's a quality of life. It's really the Sermon on the Mount lived out today. It's kingdom living in a sinful fallen world. It's understanding that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13. Only someone who's been regenerated can experience that. Rescued from this present evil age, which is focused on opposition to God and focused on sinful desires and that's precisely why Paul is bringing this up in, in Galatians 1.4. He wants these fickle Galatians to understand that only the gospel of grace in Christ can set them free from being enslaved to their sin. Do you realize that? It's only the gospel that can set you free. 
The religion of law keeping or any kind of human effort that was being taught by the Judaizers only puts people under bondage, just gives them legalistic rules that they are obligated to keep. It can never liberate anyone because it doesn't offer what the gospel offers, and that's a changed heart. That's a changed heart. That's why Paul said, look at Galatians 5.1. That's why later he will say, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into bondage, whether it's Jewish bondage or, or any kind of bondage. Stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given you. Our prayer is that these broadcasts are a real help to you in your daily walk with the Lord Jesus. If you'd like to talk to someone about salvation or your walk with Christ, please call us at 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. We depend on the generous support of listeners like you who have been blessed by these Bible studies. You can contribute online, over the phone, or by mail. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Giving tab. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. And our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.